Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today we are resuming our study in the book of Romans. And we're ready for chapter 8. And chapter 8 is one of the most encouraging and one of the most important passages in all of Christianity. And I've prayed this morning in the powerful name of Jesus that I would have a great anointing and that God would help me to do justice to the teaching this morning. And so I'm going to do my best to hopefully nail all these important points. Uh, Really, it deals with deliverance from bondage. You know, there are those who are in Christ who walk according to the Spirit There are those who are not and who walk according to the flesh. So he's going to be dealing with behavior. Likewise, he's going to be dealing with our victory in Christ. He's also going to be dealing with the fact, and this may be a hard fact for people to accept, and it is because there's many who don't believe it, even though I think Romans chapter 8 is going to spell it out very clearly that you were chosen. If you have believed upon Christ, it wasn't because you did something special. It was because God called you to himself. Not only did he call you to himself, but he knew you in advance before the foundations of the world. And you were predestined to believe. That's what Paul's going to say. And there's going to be people who try to take some really long walks to avoid that reality. But if we have believed upon Christ, it's not because of anything special about us. It's because God decided to show us mercy. And it's that simple. With that backdrop, let's have a look at the scriptures. But before I read verse 1... I want to just read the last couple of verses from last week's chapter 7 because you kind of got to flow into these things. Remember, there wasn't always chapters. They're very helpful for us to go find the scriptures, and I'm glad they're there. But when we're studying, it's important to know this was a letter, and it kind of flows together. So let's go read the last like few verses here. And then I'll get into verse 1 of chapter 8. So I'll start with verse 22 in chapter 7, which says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. If we remember, chapter 7 was about this battle, this war, this conflict between our two natures, right? And then he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he gives the answer, verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, my flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 7 ends there. Now let's get to chapter 8, verse 1. But the first word is therefore. And what's therefore mean? It means in light of everything we just got done talking about. Remember he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Like, like who can deliver me from this body of death? 
And then he gives the answer, it's Jesus Christ. Chapter 8 begins with, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those of us who are in Christ, even though we deserve condemnation, there is no condemnation for us. He continues, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Please note, I would argue that you're set free from the bondage of sin. You're not set free to sin, like so many seem to think. Oh, I've been set free. I'm allowed to sin. No, you're set free from the bondage of sin. You have power over it now. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the law was unable to justify you, right? It, it was un, unable to produce righteousness in you. It was, un, it was, it was unable... Uh, I'm trying to find the words here. It was unable to deliver you from the penalty of, of the flesh. What it, what it is, is it's a revealing of sin. You look at the law, okay, you break the, the scriptures say if you break any point of the law, you've, you might as well have broken all the law because you are, right, you've, you've failed. So Christ came, what does Paul say? In the likeness of flesh, so he came in human flesh, and became an offering for sin, so that, why did he do it? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So he came as an offering, paid the penalty. Why? So that the requirement of the law that we couldn't pay, that we couldn't fulfill, might be fulfilled in us. And then, because Christ is in us, because the Spirit of God is in us, we walk according to the Spirit now, not according to the flesh like the rest of the world. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Listen, those... You, th you look at those who... Had, they're not believers. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. And you're like, why do they act the way they do? It's literally because they have no choice. They are a slave to the flesh. And their only desire is to fulfill the needs of the flesh. 
and they're hostile towards God. This is important to understand. They are unable to not be hostile towards God. The only reason that you can walk in any form of righteousness and holiness is because of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, strengthening you, and leading you. When you don't have the Spirit of God, you're a slave. You're a bondage to the flesh. There's nothing you can do. People, people need to understand how desperate this is. Your family members, your friends, your co-workers who don't know Christ are in bondage. They're a slave to the flesh. They are unable to serve any other master. They can only set their mind upon the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if, uh-oh, we're going to hear this word a couple times today, the, the two-letter word that Christians hate because it signifies that you must actually act or that something has to have transpired. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But the spirit of God is not in you which is that seal, right? It's that deposit where we can find hope knowing that we belong to God because the Spirit dwells in us. He obviously, right? The Spirit dwells in us. It convicts us of sin. It, you know. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the spirit of God is in you, it convicts you of sin, it makes you grieve about sin, it, it coaches you and helps you to understand scripture. I mean, there's so many ways to identify that it's there. When you believe upon Christ, if that spirit is in you, it's a seal, it's a deposit, and that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you can be confident that you will be risen from the dead. That's what Paul's getting at. Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to do the flesh, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. You see, if you're, if you're walking according to the Spirit, not instantly, but progressively, you're going to start putting to death those fleshly things. Right? I'm not who I want to be but I'm not who I used to be. And all the more as I get to know Christ, right? For all those who are being, verse 14, for all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to 
fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if, there's the word, if indeed we suffer with him, so we may be also glorified with him. So it says that you'll be, a, if you're a child of God, then you're also an heir. And you'll be co-heirs with Christ in eternity, if indeed you suffer with him. So what's that mean? What's it mean, if you've suffered with Christ? Well, it doesn't always mean if you've been tortured, right? It's not the extreme, like, where you're on your knees and it's like, we're going to decapitate you unless you deny Christ or, or you're being crucified, or, although this it certainly includes those things. And that certainly happens to some of us. But really, it's any type of persecution. It could be mockery. Could be friends and family rejecting you because of your faith. It could be, uh, um, I've experienced multiple times in my life not getting opportunities because of the podcast and because of the work I've done. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a job interview and they're like, "Yeah, we definitely we're in, we're interested in you. We definitely want to hire you." Tw- within twenty four hours of doing the what almost any company does at this point and should do. When they Google you, they look you up on Facebook, they do all this, and then, and then suddenly they come, you know what, we've decided to go in another direction. Multiple times that's happened to me. You know, so it, it isn't always in the form of violence, but it most certainly can be in the form of violence. So suffering with Christ means receiving ill treatment from the world because of your relationship with Jesus. Some of us, are, our family members, don't want anything to do with us. Some of us, our friends, are like, oh, you're, you're a Jesus freak now. And they, okay, they move on. Great. That's wonderful. Thank you for helping me store up treasures in heaven. Continuing on, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's he mean? So in other words, no matter how bad the treatment is where the suffering is because of your relationship with Christ, it pales in comparison to how amazing it's going to be when you're raised from the dead and you receive your inheritance. Again, this life is a vapor. Eternity is eternal. It's forever. Eternal bliss, rewards, comforts, joys beyond imagination, a little blip, a little grain of sand, of disappointments and mistreatments by the world. Is it worth it? Of course. For the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to the futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to the corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers and pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, 
waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what has already been seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we perseverance, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Paul's saying, we, our spirit groans within ourselves, waiting for the day of resurrection. Because remember, even if, if that day happens now, the dead in Christ rise first, those who have went to sleep, will be raised in their new bodies, and those of us who are still alive and remain, will st- this old body still dies, and we receive our new perfect body, right? Those of us who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and we'll be forever with Christ. Our body longs for that day. Our, or I'm sorry, our spirit longs for that day within us. It groans. Not only us, but even the whole creation. God's creation is in bondage too because of sinful man. And even so the whole creation is groaning for Christ to return. And to renew and our spirit is groaning for Christ to renew us to redeem us completely right we're, we've been redeemed meaning we have the hope for that in the future but we're longing for the for it to manifest as reality verse 26 in the same way the spirit also helps our weakness For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings into deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Your Spirit inside you is teaching you to pray, but it's also groaning. Groaning and communicating with God. And we know, verse 24, or 28, we, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Does it mean everything works out perfectly? No, it means God will do, will make, will work those things out for, the, for your benefit. If you're called according to his purpose. So what's it mean to be called? Well, Paul's going to tell you, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, what does foreknew mean? Here in the study Bible, it says it's not a reference simply to God's omniscience. That in eternity past, he knew who would come to Christ. Rather, it speaks to a predetermined choice to set his love on us and establish an intimate relationship. This wasn't, oh, God God knew that you would accept Christ. No, this is saying before the foundations of the world were ever laid, God made the choice to love you. You say, why? I don't know. I don't know why. For those whom he foreknew... And just in case you still aren't clear, comma, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. 
and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Justified means just as you've never sinned. You've been justified, even though you don't deserve it, because you've been covered by the blood of Christ. You've been justified and covered by the blood of Christ because God foreknew you and he predestined you to believe and to set his grace and mercy upon you. And if he's justified you, he will also glorify you. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? What things? The things we just mentioned. Which is what? That he foreknew us and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if he predestined us, that means he called us. And if he called us, that means he justified us. And if he's justified us, that means he's glorified us. So what should we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? So think about that. We've heard that a million times, right? And we probably just gloss over it at this point. Yeah, yeah, God's for me. Now listen. If God made a predetermined choice before the beginning of the world to set his love and mercy upon you. I mean, if he's that if he's for you in that manner that he would call you out of darkness. Not because of anything you've done, you were enemies of God before he opened your eyes and your heart. He just decided to set his love upon you. So if that be true, and it is, then what should we be afraid of, (laughs) right? Like, should you be afraid of anything in this world? I mean, if God is for you, who could be against you? This is the God who chose you from the foundations of the world to be his child. What's there to be afraid of? He who did not spare his own son, verse 32 but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? I mean, I think Paul's being pretty clear in his passage that you were chosen, right? Like you didn't do this yourself. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who who is the one who condemns question mark so if god justifies who could condemn you christ jesus is he who died yes rather who was raised who is at the right hand of god who also intercedes for us who will separate us from the love of christ will tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's not denying the fact that we face adversity being children of God, because the world hates us. Jesus said, if he hates me, the master, what do you think they're going to, how do you think they're going to feel about you? They're going to hate you also. But can any of those things separate us from the love of God? Verse 37, But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's how Roman 8 ends. Paul's trying to give confidence to his people. Listen, if God cared enough about you to set his affection on you from the beginning, you don't have to fear because regardless of any of these things, you won't be separated from the love of God. And look, he's not oblivious to the things we're up against. He doesn't just mention, you know, regular old worldly troubles. What is he? He mentions angels, right? Angelic powers principalities angels and principalities he's acknowledging that there's a powerful force that we're up against in the spiritual realm but it's nothing what can separate us from the love of God why should we be afraid God already determined that we were going to be his children we can find much rest and confidence in that reality. Well, that's the study for this morning. Uh, man, I pray I've gotten it across. I pray I've gotten, it across, gotten across the message that God wants you to hear this morning. I hope your hearts are pierced. I hope that you have a, a new sense of how much God really does care about you. And in my opinion, the more you understand and know how much God cares and loves you, the more obedient you want to be, right? It's like the child who just want, he wants to please his father because he has such a great dad. It shouldn't be the other way. Where people are like, yeah, my dad's so great and merciful. I'm just going to go do whatever. Yeah, it's going to make him sad. It's going to break his heart, but who cares? Like, that's not love. You don't love God if that's your attitude. Oh, I can sin as much as I want. You trample the blood of Christ under your feet. Stop it. You have, a, you have an obligation. You have a responsibility to God. He gave his only son for you. And we should do our best to walk according to what he's commanded us to do. Thanks for listening, friends. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.